Come follow me, the Savior said. Then let us in his footsteps tread. For thus alone can we This is Lexi Austin, and you are listening to The Savior Said, Season 2. This is a weekly podcast that follows my study of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Each week, I will be using the Come Follow Me curriculum of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This curriculum can be found online at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For more fun, follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Savior Said. Please note, episodes of The Savior Said are not meant to replace your Come Follow Me experience, but to supplement your own personal study of the scriptures. Hey guys, welcome back to The Savior Said. This episode is going to cover the assignment for January 27th to February 2nd, 1 Nephi 16 through 22nd. I will prepare the way before you. And this week we're going to be talking all about Nephi and his family and the various trials and different things that they hiccups kind of in the road, as it were, that they cover as they go towards the promised land. But before we get started, just some podcast news. Um, I just got the email this week that The Savior Said is on iHeartRadio. So if you have the iHeartRadio app, you can find The Savior Said on there as well. And you can listen through the iHeartRadio app as well. Very cool, huh? All right. Let's jump into this week's episode. I feel like I owe Nephi an apology. For the last several years, Nephi has kind of gotten on my nerves. Like he really has. And in my mind, I kind of have always pictured Nephi as like, you know, Hercules, like Disney's movie Hercules. And Hercules is kind of like big and buff and, you know, he's got the big, strong Roman nose and everything. And that's kind of how I pictured Nephi, but like more Middle Eastern. Like that, that was in my mind. That's what Nephi was. And so when I go in and I start reading this stuff, like I've got this shiny Disney image and I feel like I go in and I read the words that Nephi has written And I feel like he's lecturing kind of nonstop. And so he always kind of annoyed me because I'm like, you're the shiny Disney character and you're lecturing everybody. And, you know, I always kind of got annoyed by that. But this week, Come Follow Me Like It Always Does humanized Nephi and his family so much more than I have ever had that experience of like learning about them before, I guess. And I started seeing the stuff that Nephi was going through, the trials and the deep, deep feelings he had, I think, about those trials and how those trials were like my own life and how to liken the scriptures unto myself, even as Nephi says, and how when he's like lecturing or when it seems like he's lecturing, he's actually kind of, I guess, talking to himself or talking through some thoughts that he's had in his head. And so those lectures aren't like, oh, you're being bad. You need to be more obedient. It's like, oh, you know, I've learned that when I stay close to the Lord, I'm able to get through these things, you know? And so that's kind of, I saw much more depth to Nephi, I think, than I have ever seen before. Um, and the overall feeling that I got just from these verses this week and these chapters this week was the feeling of, you know, Heavenly Father, I'm doing everything right. Why is this happening to me? And I have to think that Nephi felt that over and over again. I think I felt that specifically when I was reading Come Follow Me, and they've got this gorgeous painting in there. Um, It's gorgeous, but gorgeous in a very sad way, where Nephi, you know, is tied to the post in the ship in the middle of the ocean, and his wife and his child are at his feet. And, you know, you got various members of his family around there. And there's just the emotion in that painting took him from being like that Disney Herculean type character and made him real and made him feel like he's experiencing something like I have felt before in my life. You know, like I did everything right. I did everything you wanted me to do. Why am I in this place? You know, 
And as I was thinking that way, as I was kind of wrapping my mind around the way that Nephi probably felt, I started listening, you know, as I do to like various Christian stations and things like that. And I felt very strongly that we need to make a mixtape. And you guys know I love to make mixtapes. The mixtape episodes are always some of my most popular episodes. So we are going to do a mix for Nephi. This is Nephi's I Will Go and Do Mix. Just some of the things that we studied this week, you're going to see some of the different ways that you know I kind of likened it unto myself and different thoughts that I had, and then also some songs that I feel like kind of go along with what Nephi was going through. So I hope that you will forgive me for not going quite as in-depth as I normally do, but I feel like this is going to be a good experience. And I also feel like there is somebody out there, I don't know who it is, maybe it's you, that needs to hear this. Um, I've been told very specifically that there's somebody out there that needs to hear this and needs to hear these songs. So I hope it will be good for you. Um, now, as we are going through and as we are listening to the songs, I'm going to be telling you who sings it and what the song is and quoting some of the lyrics and stuff like that. Please, please, please go support these artists who are singing their testimonies out there. You can find all of their music on Amazon Music. That's where I get it from. Or you can find it on iTunes or, you know, just go go look them up. Support their beautiful, beautiful bearing of their testimonies through songs. So please go support them and download their music because it's fabulous and they deserve to be paid for it. So go do that. All right. So track number one. We are going to jump into the Come Follow Me assignment with the introduction. It says, as Lehi's family journeyed towards the promised land, the Lord made them this promise. I will prepare the way before you, if it so be that ye shall keep my commandments. Clearly, that promise did not mean that the journey would be easy. Family members still disagreed, bows broke, people struggled and died, and they still had to build a ship from raw materials. However, when the family faced adversity or seemingly impossible tasks, Nephi recognized that the Lord was never far away. He knew that God doth nourish the faithful and strengthen them and provide means whereby they can accomplish the thing which he has commanded them. If you ever wonder why bad things happen to good people like Nephi and his family, you may find insights in these chapters. But perhaps, more importantly, you will see what good people do when bad things happen. And I really love that introduction, especially that last line, what good people do when bad things happen. You know, why do bad things happen? That's a question I think that anyone who is in any sort of religious, you know, organization, church, you know, believing in God, I think that's a question that those who don't believe ask us a lot. Why does your God let these things happen? Um, and honestly, you you can give any sort of platitude answer for that. And sometimes it will pertain to the situation, sometimes not. But I guess the real answer to all of that is that if every time you did something good, only good things happened, and every time you did something bad, only bad things happened, that would take away a certain measure of our agency um, when you had immediate consequences to your actions, whether they be good or bad. Right away, all of a sudden, we don't get to make decisions on our own. We don't get to make decisions without really knowing what's going to happen. We don't get to learn things quite the same way that we would if we were going through hard stuff. Like I want you to think the hardest thing that you've ever gone through, like the hardest thing you have ever gone through. What did you learn from that? And was there any way that you could learn that? Was there any other way? I mean, I think about my own life and I think about the ways that I come closest to my heavenly father are through some of the hardest things that I've had to walk through. 
one of the biggest trials I feel like in my life is that my husband is so, he left the church and he's so antagonistic towards the church. And I love my husband so much. He's a wonderful guy, a wonderful man. And I think, you know, he's got this, you know, big, tough outer shell, but he's got like this crunchy, gooey center where he just loves people so deeply and has so much empathy for them that I think he would make an amazing bishop one day. But I also think the adversary knows that too. And so I think he goes after him very much. And so, you know, there's some animosity there towards the church in his mind. And it hurts my heart a lot. But then I think about, you know, if I were in a relationship with someone who was, you know, if we were like, I guess, equal yoked, I guess, as you could say, you know, where he was a priesthood holder and, you know, he went to church with me and was valiant and everything like that. Would I have had to struggle and search after the Lord and rely on the Lord as much as I do now? And I'm not saying that anyone who's in a relationship with an active priesthood holder doesn't have to struggle or rely on the Lord because you do. I'm just saying in my personal instance, would I have maybe leaned back a little bit and been like, okay, I can rely on his testimony a little bit too. Or would I have like delved as deeply into the scriptures and as deeply into the gospel as I have without him there beside me at church every Sunday? You know, I just think for me personally, Not that there's a perk of bad stuff happening, but in this particular situation, one of the good things that came out of a bad situation was that I did learn to rely so deeply upon my Savior and upon the Lord. And so I think when we talk about bad stuff happening, yeah, I don't think bad stuff always happens so that something good can happen, but sometimes it does. But a lot of times when bad stuff happens, we can find the good little gold nuggets and kind of pick those out of the bad situation. And God is the master of taking a bad situation and finding the silver linings in it. So I think that's what we're going to see a lot in Nephi this week. All right, and we're going to see that in the first section in Come Follow Me, where it says, When I keep the commandments, God will help me face challenges. And it says, Nephi describes several challenges that Nephi's family faced in the reading this week, including dealing with a broken bow. We're going to start out with the broken bow. So it's in 1 Nephi 19 through 22. I'm going to read it to you really quick. And it came to pass that we did return without food to our families. And being much fatigued because of their journeying, they did suffer much for want of food. And it came to pass that Laman and Lemuel, always Laman and Lemuel, the sons of Ishmael did begin to murmur exceedingly because of their sufferings and afflictions in the wilderness. And also my father began to murmur against the Lord his God. That tells you right there that even those who are closest to the Lord are not immune from, you know, anything, much less alone murmuring against God. You know, you're not immune to it. Yea, and they were all exceedingly sorrowful, even that they did murmur against the Lord. Now it came to pass that I, Nephi, having been afflicted with my brethren because of the loss of my bow and their bows having lost their springs. Okay, pause there. I want to talk for a moment about that. So Nephi's bow actually broke. Okay, that was something that maybe it was an accident or, you know, we don't know how it happened, but it broke. Whereas their bows lost their springs. It means that they weren't taking care of their bows. There's actually like a little hook. I mean, this is not me actually saying like, I know this firsthand. This is me like somebody else said it. And so I'm relaying it to you. But apparently there's a little hook on these bows that they were made out of steel. And you could unhook it so that the bow could kind of stretch out and would retain its spring. If you kept it constantly strung, then over time, the metal would kind of curve and it wouldn't have quite as much spring to it. So Nephi's bow broke accidentally, whereas Laman and Lemuel and everybody else's bow broke because they weren't treating it properly. They weren't taking care of it, right? Interesting kind of comparison there. Unpause, continue on. 
It began to be exceedingly difficult, yea, insomuch that we could obtain no food. And it came to pass that I, Nephi, did speak much unto my brethren, because they had hardened their hearts again, even unto complaining against the Lord their God. So this is the first instance where I see Nephi being like, Okay, so I did what you wanted, Heavenly Father. Like, I I walked here into the wilderness. We went into the wilderness. All of our family is here. You know, I did what you wanted. This was a hard thing for them to be in the wilderness. It was hard for them to find food this way. And he had taken care of his bow. He'd taken care of it. He'd done everything right. And it broke anyways. And I think that's so hard for us to kind of comprehend. Like, I did everything you asked of me. Why am I still struggling? And I'm not saying that Nephi says that specifically in these verses. I just say, think that like if I were in Nephi's shoes, that's probably what I would be feeling like. I I did what you wanted, but now my bow broke. You know, my fool brothers over there who didn't even take care of their bows, their bows are just fine. They're just not able to use them because they were stupid. Like, why did my bow be the one that broke? Like, why was that? Um, I don't know. I'd be really frustrated about that. But I think God had a plan. Because I think this was an instance in where he took Nephi to show him, hey, I can be there for you. And when you turn to me and you don't murmur like, you know, your brothers and your family and even your father who's really close to me, if you don't murmur like them, but you come and you seek me and you ask me and you rely on me to take you through this really hard stuff, you know, and say, thy will be done, I will be there for you. One other thing that's really interesting about the story, I was reading a Book of Mormon commentary, um, and if you need a Book of Mormon commentary to help get you through your Come Follow Me studies, I love this commentary. I use the New Testament version for my study of the New Testament as well, but it's The Book of Mormon Made Easier by David Ridges. I definitely recommend that you go check it out. But in The Book of Mormon Made Easier, he has a comment kind of about the story. He said he was talking to one of his friends who was an avid, like, archer, you know, someone who actually used bows and arrows quite frequently. And he said, he told him, David, I know the Book of Mormon is true. And he said, well, how do you know that the Book of Mormon is true? Like what, what brought this on? And he said, well, you know, Nephi was using a steel bow and he kind of explains the difference between steel bows and wood bows. And when Nephi says, not only did he make a bow, but he also said he went and he made an arrow from a straight stick. That's not a detail that Joseph Smith could have known. That's a detail that only could have come from a translation. And, you know, David was like, well, what are you talking about? Like, why would that be a big deal? Well, because if you are using a steel bow, apparently the arrows that you use for a steel bow are much shorter and they're much lighter because of the weight of the bow and different things like that. Whereas if you're using a wood bow, the steel arrows wouldn't work as well. You would have to use a wooden arrow and they'd have to be much longer. And so because of that detail that there's no way Joseph Smith would have known that, but yet it still got included somehow in the Book of Mormon is kind of a really cool thing. So I just wanted to include that there for you. All right. But jumping back on into the whole theme of this particular track of thy will be done, relying on the Lord during hard times. The song that I picked to kind of go with this section that Nephi was kind of experiencing in his life is Thy Will by Hilary Scott. And there's some lyrics in there that are really beautiful. It says, I'm so confused. I know I heard you loud and clear, so I followed through, and somehow I ended up here. I mean, can you see Nephi saying that? Like, I'm so confused. I had this journey, like dream in my mind. Like you took me on this whole tour of human history. I have such a testimony of Jesus Christ and of his gospel and of following him. And here I am on top of this mountain with a broken bow. Like, I'm so confused. I did what I thought you wanted me to do. And she continues Hillary Scott in the song. She says, I don't want to think I may never understand 
that my broken heart or broken bow is part of your plan. When I try to pray, all I got is hurt and these four words, thy will be done. So here you go. This is Hillary Scott, thy will be done. confused I know I heard you loud and clear so I followed through somehow I ended up here I don't want to think I may never understand that my broken heart is a part of your plan when I try to pray All I got is her in these four words Thy will be done Thy will be done Thy will be done
All right, so this next track, I want to kind of talk a little bit, not necessarily about, you know, the hurdles and the obstacles that Nephi was going through, but how he got through them and the guidance that he got through them. And this the next section in Come Follow Me is, the Lord guides me through small and simple means. And of course, he's talking about the Liahona. When God led Lehi's family into the wilderness, he did not provide them with a detailed travel plan to the promised land, but he did give Lehi the Liahona to guide him and his family towards their destination. What has Heavenly Father given to you to provide guidance and direction in your life? What do you think it means by small means the Lord can bring about great things? Okay, whenever I've thought about this in the past, I've always thought about you know, doing daily scriptures and praying daily and leaning upon the Lord and going to church every week and taking the sacrament. And I think that is part of it. You know, every week I go to church and I take the sacrament and I renew those covenants. And it's a tiny little, you know, thing in my life. It's maybe 15 minutes in my week, but it's a small thing that makes a big change in my life. The strength I get from that and the grace I get from that is huge in my life, you know, so from something small and simple, a piece of bread and a tiny cup of water and a beautiful blessing said by a 16-year-old boy, all of a sudden something really beautiful in my life happens. And I think the repeated, you know, reading the scriptures every day and saying your prayers every day, beautiful blessings come from that too. And that's why I've always associated with the scripture. But as I was pondering it this week, I started thinking about decisions. And decisions are really small things. Um, A lot of times, sometimes you have those big decisions, you know, where will I go to college or what job will I have or who will I marry? Like those are big decisions. But most of the time in our lives, we make tiny little decisions all day long. We probably make thousands of them and we don't even know that we're making them. You know, do I turn right here? Do I turn left here? Do I talk to this person? Do I talk to that person? Do I smile as I pass this person in the hall? You know, all these little tiny decisions lead us to where we are in our lives. And so recognizing that was kind of an interesting thing. Like all the little decisions that Nephi and his family had to make up to this point to get them into the wilderness and to keep them safe from the destruction that was coming for Jerusalem. You know, it's kind of interesting to me to think about the way that they made those decisions. Now, I also saw a quote on social media this week that I think is really fascinating. It says, in Spanish, French, and Italian, decisions are something you take. That's the way the language works with them. You take a decision like a train that leads you somewhere new or that like leads you into the wilderness, right? However, in English, you make them like they're little pieces of your own creation. And I think sometimes that's how our decisions are. Sometimes, you know, if we're standing in a forest and we see a bunch of different paths and we see one path and Heavenly Father says, take this path. Like we take that decision and we go down that path, right? So I like the, you know, Spanish, French, and Italian version of taking that decision. Whereas other times, I think God leaves it up to us. You know, you see these paths in the forest and you can make the decision yourself. Yeah, that's fine. That's cool. Make your decision. And we make a decision and that makes all the difference as Robert Frost tells us, right? Well, then continuing on with the quote that I saw on social media, it says, in German, you meet decisions like friends. And that's from Javier Santana is the one who posted that on social media. But um, isn't that cool? So then you're in the forest. You're looking at your paths, meeting a decision like a friend. You find a friendly path and you kind of go down that path. And that decision takes you all along a path of friendship. I mean, that's that's just kind of cool. Um, just, you know, you can take a decision, you can make a decision, or you can meet a decision. I thought that was interesting and it made me think of all the different ways that those little teeny tiny decisions in my life, whether they've been taken, made, or met, have made 
me who I am today, have put me in the place where I am today, you know, and let me be closer to my father in heaven because of that. The great things that have come about in my life because of those little tiny decisions that I've made. So don't ever underestimate the power of a tiny decision because it can completely change your course, you know, from where you were to somewhere else. Um, you know, Nephi made the choice not to murmur and that when he, his bow broke. And so that was kind of a big decision. He also made the choice after his bow broke to go back to his father who had complained about things and been murmuring and honor his priesthood authority and ask him where he should go to hunt for food. And his father, recognizing what Nephi was doing, was like, yeah, okay, I'm wrong. I should have been a better example. I should not have turned against the Lord. And he kind of repents himself. And so Nephi making that tiny decision of, hey, I'm going to go check with my dad first, you know, I mean, that led to something really good. It brought Lehi back to the Lord. So I don't know. It was just interesting to me to ponder about how little decisions kind of guide our lives. And of course, when we're making these little decisions, sometimes we need some help along the way to help us know which way we need to take, make, or meet these decisions, right? So Nephi and his family had this little ball called the Liahona, which is interesting. When you read about the Liahona, it talks about how it had two spindles on it, and one of the spindles told you which way you should go. I'm like, what did the other spindle do? I'm just curious. Like, that's not a here or there thing. That's just like Lexi wondering, like, what was the other spindle for? You know, it makes me think of a clock. Maybe it looked like a clock. So I'm like, what was like the minute hand doing while the hour hand was pointing where they go? I don't know. Um, That's something I want to know when I get to the other side. But the song I picked to go along with this is Lord, I Need You by Matt Mayer. And you will recognize the song, you know, Lord, I Need Thee, like, like that whole hymn. It's kind of remixed into this song. But I think, you know, relying upon the Lord every hour of every day of our lives is how we have that Holy Ghost with us. That's that guiding force in our lives when we make those decisions, when we take those paths throughout the woods. That's our Leahona. And in the song, Matt Mayer says, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. You are my one defense. Okay, so my one defense, not only against like outward forces, but also my one defense against making dumb decisions, because uh, I would do that on the regular. So you're my one defense. You're my righteousness, not necessarily because I've chosen to be righteous, but because you guide me to righteousness. Right. Oh, God, how I need you. So here you go. Lord, I need you by Matt Mayer. I come, I confess, bowing here, I find my rest. Without you, I fall apart. You're the one that guides my heart. Lord, I need.
to you When temptation comes my way When I cannot stand, I'll fall on you Jesus, you're my hope and stay Okay, so Nephi's family is being fed by his new bow. They are following the Liahona, and we get to the seashore, which, you know, whenever I go to the beach, it's a wonderful time. I'm really excited to be at the beach. And I think that they were finally glad that their you know trip through the wilderness was over. But something I have noticed is that whenever people have downtime, whenever they have unstructured time, I notice this with my classes. This is when people tend to get in trouble. And you'll notice kind of a similar pattern emerging with Laman and Lemuel, that whenever there's downtime or wherever there's just time for them to stop and kind of twiddle their thumbs, that's when they start acting up. I mean, it's the same for my classes. Whenever I've like maybe a lesson has gone short and we've already checked out all our books and now we kind of have nothing to do, that's when mischief occurs. You know, I always have a backup plan for those downtimes because otherwise, you know, you can't you know, account for what's going to happen, right? So unstructured time needs to know we're good. And in this particular case, Nephi gets there and he's been tasked with this thing of building a boat. He doesn't know anything about boat, boat building. And his brothers kind of start ribbing him about it. And as the days passed, I think they got stronger and stronger until they got to the point where they were like, he's so dumb. He's led us so far. We're just going to throw him into the sea. Right. And poor Nephi, like not only do you have this crazy task, but you also have these people like in your ear saying you can't do it. Like how hard would that be? But Nephi does a really good job of reminding them how God has helped out in the past. And this actually reminded me a whole lot of our study in the New Testament of Paul. Several times, Paul would go back and recount how God had helped the children of Israel as they went through their various trials to kind of tie Christ in and say, hey, you know how children of Israel got through all this stuff? Christ is helping us get through this stuff too, you know, and he used the trials of the children of Israel to teach a lot of lessons. Nephi's kind of doing something similar here. Like he's, you know, talking about how Moses led the children of Israel out of bondage to the Egyptians. He talks about the parting of the Red Sea, the manna in the wilderness, the striking the rock with water coming out of it, you know, how God led them through the wilderness, and then fiery serpents. And we're reading all of this in 1 Nephi 17, by the way. And Nephi says in 1 Nephi 17, Verse 50, and I said unto them, if God had commanded me to do all things, I could do them. And if he should command me that I should say unto this water, be thou earth, it should be earth. And if I say it, it would be done. And now if the Lord has such great power and has wrought so many miracles among the children of men, how is it he cannot instruct me that I should build a ship? 
I mean, that is awesome faith that Nephi had there. You know, and I think going back to the bow earlier, the bow that he broke, maybe he'd never made a bow before. And maybe the Lord taught him how. And that was the Lord teaching him like, hey, I can teach you to do stuff. And if you listen to me, I can teach you to do other things too, like build a boat. It's interesting to me that when Nephi's family kind of finally does come and they see the boat that he's built, um, they talk about it being curious workmanship, like they've never seen a boat made that way. And I'm like, well, that's really cool. But um, why didn't they see it the whole time? Like, why was nobody helping Nephi? You know, I'm kind of frustrated with them, even the good guys. I'm like, why? Why did you guys like, oh, this is curious workmanship. You should have seen it the whole time, guys. Like you should have known. But um, that's neither here nor, nor there. But so poor Nephi. I mean, I think you know, he's sitting there on the edge of the seashore. Like, this is what I see in my mind. And just saying, Lord, I, I don't know what to do. And then step by step, Heavenly Father led him along. This is where you're going to get the ore. And this is how you make tools. Okay, so next step, you've got tools. Let's go find some wood. Okay, this is what you're going to do to make the wood waterproof. Okay, next step. This is how you're going to put the wood together. I mean, just bit by bit by bit. And this reminds me of one of my favorite stories. I don't know how true it is. It's a local legend, but if it is true, it is a great example of how the Lord instruct us. If it's not true, it's something inspirational to think about, okay? So the Birmingham Temple here in Alabama was built when I was like maybe a teenager. I think I was 16 or 17 when it was built. So the local members helped kind of construct some of the stuff or put it together, put the furniture in place and things like that. And so at the time, one of the Relief Society presidents in our ward was part of helping put together one of the beautiful chandeliers that was in the celestial room. And she goes to take out the box to put the chandelier together and all the crystals there and all the pieces are there, but there's no instructions. And she says she remembers just sitting there and just feeling like Nephi being ordered to build a ship and not having any idea how to do it. And in her mind, she just remembers looking and seeing this one piece and being like, okay, that's the centerpiece. So let's start there. And you start there with the centerpiece. And the the particular chandelier that it is, it hangs down. It's kind of in a cone shape. And so the very centerpiece is the cone at the very bottom. And then it kind of wraps up to a wider base at the top where it mounts at the ceiling, right? And it's all this beautiful crystal right there in the celestial room of the Birmingham, Alabama temple. And so piece by crystal piece, she was able to put the chandelier together figuring out and like once she figured out, okay, this is how the piece is set up down here. Maybe I can do the next rung and the next rung and going piece by piece and learning along the way of how it was supposed to be put together. She was able to put together this gorgeous chandelier that's there in the celestial room. And I have to think it was probably a very similar experience for Nephi. You know, after he got through the first couple of steps and kind of learned what he needed to know from those steps, he was able to learn more. And how much is that like our own journey in the gospel? After we learn a first couple of like, you know, interesting lessons, we learn a couple more. And after we learn a little bit more knowledge, we have more greater light knowledge added onto that. So it was just interesting to me the way that that all came about. But I loved how Nephi turned to his family and he reminded them of all the ways that God had done something similar in the past that they knew of in the scriptures and that Nephi knew that he could do it again. And so the song I've chosen for this is Do It Again by Elevation Worship. And it's a slow burn. It starts out a little slow. I will give you that. But then it gets to like the like faster part in the chorus a little ways down. And it's really, really good. So here are some of the lyrics. Walking around these walls, I thought by now they'd fall. But you've never failed me yet. Waiting for change to come. Knowing the battle's won. For you've never failed me yet. 
Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You've never failed me yet. I've seen you move. Come move the mountains. I believe I'll see you do it again. You made a way where there is no way. And I believe I'll see you do it again. I mean, can you imagine Nephi saying those words? You made a way where there was no way. You parted that Red Sea. I know you can do it again. So here it is. Do it again by Elevation Worship.
Okay, so this next section I kind of want to talk about um, Nephi's testimony of Jesus Christ and the love that Jesus Christ has for his children. And when we see this in 1 Nephi 19 is kind of where we're, we're looking at this. And Nephi's talking about the two different plates, which, you know, again, Heavenly Father taking something, you know, bad that happened in our day and making something good out of it. We get these awesome scriptural accounts, spiritual accounts of what went on with Nephi and his family. That's actually a really good thing. Nephi's talking about how he's making two different sets of plates, right? And as he goes through these sets of plates, he starts quoting these different prophets that are like these lost books that we don't even know about because they're like lost books, right? And if you actually go into the Bible dictionary, you're going to see there's a section in the Bible dictionary called lost books. And in this entry, it talks about all these books that have ever been referenced to, but that we don't have. And it starts out by mentioning books, even in the Old Testament, where they mention, oh, this book here, and we don't have that book. And so the entries for lost books is much more extensive in the Old Testament and in the New Testament than it is in the Book of Mormon, which is interesting to me. Because a lot of times we're like, okay, who are these crazy prophets that seem to be made up? But when you go in and you actually look at who's referencing books that are no longer there, there's a whole lot more of it in the Bible than there is in the Book of Mormon. I'm just saying, it was interesting to me. So then we go into what Nephi's talking about, and Nephi's talking about several different prophets and their teachings, and very specific teachings about Christ's life, and very beautiful teachings about Christ's life. And I think he starts off with a little bit where I feel like maybe he's kind of feeling some empathy towards Christ, just the way he's talking. And I'm in 1 Nephi chapter 19, we're in verse 9. And the world, because of their iniquity, shall judge him to be a thing of naught. Wherefore, they scourge him, and he suffers it. They smite him, and he suffereth it. They spit upon him, and he suffereth it, because of his loving kindness and his long suffering towards the children of men. Like, do you not think Nephi maybe felt that in his heart? Like, I am following Christ when they spit upon me, and they mock me, and they're just awful to me, and I just put up with it. I'm being more like Christ. I feel like Nephi kind of felt that a little bit. And then he continues on with, you know, and the God of our fathers, this is in verse 10, who were led out of Egypt, out of bondage, also were preserved in the wilderness. I think that's probably comforting to Nephi. They were preserved in the wilderness. We will be preserved in the wilderness, right? And he talks about Zenic and Zenos talking about Christ who would be crucified according to the words of Nahum 
and buried in a sepulcher, according towards Azenus, which he spoke the three days of darkness, which should be a sign of his death given to those who should inhabit the Isles of the Sea, which let's pause there real quick. Okay, so that's another thing. Um, in ancient Mediterranean writings, the world was, as far as they knew, that area in the Middle East, like that was the world. So whenever they talk about the Isles of the Sea, that's anywhere else, right? So when they talk about the Isles of the Sea, they're not talking about like a group of islands. Um, like I think Hawaii as being like the Isles of the Sea, but that's not what they're talking about. When they say Isles of the Sea, they mean in like other lands. So that would be America would be an Isle of the Seas. That's like literally what they're talking about. So when Christ should come visit those in the Americas, Yes, that's exactly what Zenus is talking about, where if he goes and he visits, you know, other people who are living in Isles of the Sea, that's people in other lands as well, right? Which I think is interesting. So, okay, pause, unpause, going back to verse 10, and especially given unto those who are the house of Israel, for thus spaketh the prophet, and I'm assuming that we're talking about Zenus still, the Lord God shall surely visit all the house of Israel at that day, some with his voice because of their righteousness unto their great joy and salvation, and others with thunderings and lightnings of his power by tempest, by fire, by smoke, and vapor of darkness, and by the opening of the earth, and by mountains which shall be carried up. And all these things must surely come, saith the prophet Zenus, and the rocks of the earth shall rend, and the groanings of the earth. Many of the kings of the isles of the sea shall be wrought upon by the Spirit of God to exclaim, The God of nature suffers." And as for those who are at Jerusalem, saith the prophet, they shall be scourged by all people because they crucify the God of Israel and turn their hearts aside, rejecting signs and wonders and the power and glory of the God of Israel. And because they turn their hearts aside, saith the prophet, and have despised the Holy One of Israel, they shall wander in flesh and perish. Nevertheless, when that day cometh, saith the prophet, that they no more turn aside their hearts from the Holy One of Israel, then will he remember the covenants which he made to their forefathers. Yea, he will remember the isles of the sea and all the people who are of the house of Israel. Nephi and his family, right? And I will gather in, saith the Lord, according to the words of the prophet Zenos, the four quarters of the earth. Yea, and all the earth shall see the salvation of the Lord, saith the prophet. Every nation, kindred, tongue, and people shall be blessed. I love that. Every nation, kindred, and tongue, not just the children of Israel, not just Nephi and his family in the Americas, not just the American people, but every nation, every kindred, every tongue, and every people, the Lord will bless. What a beautiful blessing that is to our great human family. He loves all of us, right? And in 18... Nephi's testimony here. I, Nephi, have written these things unto my people, that perhaps I might persuade them that they would remember the Lord their Redeemer, that they would remember that love that he has for them, right? That they would remember the love of all the stuff that he's going to go through, all the way he's helped them in days past, and what he's going to do for them now. And so the song that I chose to go along with this particular section is Love Like This by Lauren Daigle. I love some Lauren Daigle. I had to include her. I'm actually going to get to go see her in May. She's coming to my town in May. I'm really excited. I have tickets to go to her concert. It's going to be awesome. But anyways, um, this song is Love Like This. Here are some of the lyrics that reminded me of Nephi and what he's going through. When I am a wasteland or wilderness, you know, like Nephi, you are the water. When I am the winter, you are the fire that burns. When I am a long night, you are the sunrise. When I am a desert, you are the river that turns to find me. What have I done to deserve a love like this? I cannot earn what you so freely give. 
and it's talking about the love that God has for us. When we are withered up, when we are cold, when there is no life in us, God gives us life and he gives us that water that nourishes us and brings us to life again. And we can't ever do anything to earn that love. He gives it to us even though we don't deserve it. And it's beautiful. And so this song really celebrates that. So Love Like This by Lauren Daigle.
Okay, and I feel like we're kind of coming full cir- circle now because this next track is all about Nephi being tied up on the ship and kind of some of his thoughts that he must have had while he was there. And that's what inspired this whole episode. And so in First Nephi 18... Verse 11 says, And it came to pass that Laman and Lemuel did take me and bind me with cords, and they did treat me with much harshness. Nevertheless, the Lord did suffer it that he might show forth his power unto the fulfilling of his word which he had spoken concerning the wicked. So Nephi is literally being like bound with cords, tied to a post on the ship, and he's like, Nope, the Lord's got this. He's doing this for a reason, and here's his reason. Like, what? I'm like, Nephi, oh my gosh. And then in verse 16, and I did look to the Lord my God, and I did praise him all the day long, and I did not murmur against the Lord because of my afflictions. Nephi is literally tied to a post. His family is like crying at his feet. He's in the middle of this storm that has come because of Laman and Lemuel and their, you know, and their shenanigans. And he's literally praising the Lord, even in the middle of it even though he doesn't know if he's going to be delivered from this or not. He still has faith in the Lord that this will be for good and that there will be good things accomplished because of it. And I'm just amazed by that faith. So the song that I chose to go along with this is actually the first song that when I decided to do this mixtape that came to my mind, it came on the radio, and that's when I decided to do the mixtape. So it was perfect to me that we kind of end this episode with this song. Um, Then this is a song that I have felt the Lord talk to me through um, multiple times in my life. Whenever I've gone through something hard, this is a song that I go back to again and again and again, and it gets me through some really hard times. It gets me through those times where I'm like, you know, praying for relief, but if it doesn't come, even if, even if you don't, um, then let this be for my good. That's kind of, you know, the the phrase of the song, and that's kind of the feeling that comes through the song. It's kind of the feeling that I had that Nephi was having in the middle of this hurricane, both of his family and of nature that was kind of swirling around him, right? And so the song I chose was Even If by Mercy Me. And the lyrics are, it's easy to sing when there's nothing to bring me down. But what will I say when I'm held to the flame like I am right now? I know you're able and I know you can. Save through the fire with your mighty hand. But even if you don't, my hope is you alone. God, when you choose to make mountains unmovable, oh, give me the strength to be able to sing. It is well with my soul. I know the sorrow and I know the hurt would all go away if you just said the word. But even if you don't, my hope is you alone. You've been faithful. You've been good all of my days. Jesus, I will cling to you, come what may, because I know you're able. And I know you can. And I'll leave you with my testimony of that too. So I'm going to go ahead and end this episode after this song. I hope you guys have an awesome week. Here we go with Mercy Me, Even If. Bye, y'all. They say sometimes you win some. Sometimes you lose some. Right now, right now, I'm losing bad. I've stood on this stage night after night, reminding the broken it'll be alright. But right now, oh, right now, I just can't. 
easy to sing when there's nothing to bring me down. But what will I say when I'm held to the flame like I am right now? They say it only takes a little faith to move a mountain. Well, good thing a little faith is all I have right now. God, when you choose to leave mountains unmovable, oh, give me the strength to be. The Savior Said is not an official product or endorsed by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. All comments and opinions are my own personal opinions and not representative of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The music used in The Savior Said is Fireflies and Stardust by Kevin McLeod. The hymn quoted in the opening is Come Follow Me, lyrics by John Nicholson. 
The Come Follow Me curriculum can be found at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For show notes, new episode alerts, and other fun and inspirational things, check out my Facebook page at facebook.com slash thesaviorsaid. You can also find me on Instagram. Comments or questions? Email me at thesaviorsaid at gmail.com. Content in The Savior Said is copyright protected. All rights are reserved. Thank you for listening.